And Father, we do ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, Jeremiah, even though he was speaking to those who were in captivity away from their home, um, they had restrictions. They were going through a difficult season. But there's very encouraging words that are given to them by you. And these are words for us today. And I pray that um, as we have, are entering into Independence Day, the birth of our nation, uh, Lord, we pray for our nation. Uh, we have seen so much happening all around us, the upheaval, the anger, the division, the, the rage, the, the riots, the protests, all the different things that we see around us and we wonder and we think and, and uh, we, we, Lord, just lift our nation up because I know that the answer is the gospel and that there be a turning to you because we need you. We need your help and we need your direction. We need hearts to be changed towards you to where we learn to love our neighbors. We learn to uh, have compassion. And uh, Lord, we're, uh, we are to be salt and light to others. So I pray for that. And I know that the enemy is working overtime in our communities and in our nation, uh, trying to tear families apart, trying to tear um, the nation apart, and uh, trying to take advantage of the restriction of churches coming together and the believers being edified and built up. But Lord, you're still on the throne. You have a plan. And Lord, um, the church is in us. That is, uh, the church is the people. It's not just the building. And Lord, even though we may be restricted in some ways, that we can come together with one heart and one mind and one accord, and we can pray for a nation that desperately needs you. Um, and Lord, as we celebrate our freedoms, uh, we want to remember those who fought for those freedoms, uh, those who uh, died in the line of duty um, and, and has allowed us to have the freedoms that we have Lord, you've blessed this nation. Uh, you have blessed us tremendously, but we also see that we're getting further and further away from you. And, and Lord, that is a concern for many of us. So we pray for turning back, even as uh, Judah was told here in their history, that if we humble ourselves and we call out to you and repent from our sins, that you will heal our land. And that's what we need right now. Father, I pray that tonight that we would be encouraged as we have this letter that is written to the captives, but Lord, it has meaning for us here as we look at this chapter. Lord, touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now keep in mind as we go through the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah's ministry lasted for 40 years. He began his ministry during the reign of Josiah. Josiah was only eight years old when he came to the throne. He was the grandson of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh ruled for 55 years, uh, longer than any other king in Judah. And Manasseh left the nation just in deep, deep idol worship, occulty kinds of practices. During the reign of Manasseh, he just closed off the temple. There was idols all over the temple. Uh, they have done excavations in Jerusalem, and they found piles of idols that were during the time of Manasseh. So the nation was very dark and, and distanced from the Lord in a time of where they were even sacrificing their own children on the arms of Moloch and Baal in the Gehenna Valley. That's how far they were from the Lord. And we know that the grandson of Manasseh, being Josiah, a couple years after Manasseh passed away, that Josiah, only eight years old when he comes to the throne, he ruled for 31 years, and in the 18th year of his rule, the Lord really was stirring his heart, and he was cleansing the land of those high places and wooden groves of idol worship, and he ordered that the temple be cleansed. And as they did, they doing the repairs of the temple, as they were hauling out the trash and everything out else there in the temple. In the house of the Lord, they found a copy of the book of the law. 
And it was read to Josiah, and the word of God touched his heart so deeply that he tore his clothes. And he said, so wonder that our nation is going through the problems and the difficulties uh, that we are because we've forsaken the word of the Lord. And you see, the Bible says that any nation that sins, you know, is a reproach. And that is when we get away from the Lord, any nation that does not adhere to the ways of the Lord, um, to their belief in the Lord. Um, This nation was founded upon Christian principles. And we are now called a nation, no longer a Christian nation. We've become very secular, and we see it's becoming like the days of the judges. In the days of the judges, as you read that book, after Joshua was on the scene, a generation after Joshua, it tells us in chapter 2 of the book of Judges that the people forgot the Lord and they forgot the works of the Lord. And we see that it goes from bad to worse during the days of the judges for 400 years. Well, in our own nation, as we get further away from the Lord, we are seeing the consequences of that. There's decay, there's decline spiritually, morally in our land. And it's very confusing and it's getting worse and worse. And what we need is revival. And that's why we need to be praying for our nation. So here comes Josiah, the last of the godly kings in Judah. And as he's on the scene, as they clean up the temple, as he hears the book of the law being read to him, he orders the temple worship be brought back. He orders the Passover to be celebrated again. Uh, He orders the Ark of the Covenant to be brought back into the Holy of Holies. It was taken out during the reign of Manasseh. And as he did that, it was reformed spiritually, but it didn't take heart to a lot of the people. There were some that it did touch. We've seen evidence of that as we saw there in chapter 26, that there were those who were defending Jeremiah. Because keep in mind, Jeremiah ministering for 40 years, that he is beginning to experience persecution. Those false prophets that have come against him, that were given a false message and given a false hope to the people. And after the death of Josiah, as he was killed uh, after 31 years of reigning there in Jerusalem, uh, that he was killed uh, by the king of Egypt. It tells us in Second Chronicles chapter 35 that Jeremiah, that he lamented for Josiah. I think that they were close, um, that perhaps there's evidence that maybe they knew each other even from childhood. And we know that uh, the remaining kings of Judah, three of his sons and one was a grandson, were not right with the Lord. And so the nation, even though they went through reforms, the hearts of the people weren't really turned to the Lord. Some were, like Daniel. He came out of that revival, and he was a very godly man, and his three friends that went off to Babylon. And we saw in chapter 26 that there was even uh, those who were defending Jeremiah, saying, hey, we need to listen to Jeremiah uh, as, uh, you know, in the days of Hezekiah, he listened to those prophets that came along and said that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed unless you turn to him. And of course, in those days of Hezekiah, that it was the Assyrians that had come down to Judah after taking the 10 northern tribes off into captivity. So they come to Jerusalem, they surround Jerusalem, they threaten Hezekiah, they threaten the holy city. And Hezekiah, as he received that letter from the king of Assyria, he spreads it out there in the house of the Lord. And him and the leadership, they, they have a prayer meeting. They pray, they, they seek the Lord. Um, and we know that the Lord would relent from the punishment against Jerusalem. Jerusalem, sent an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So they're saying, hey, it was Hezekiah that heeded the warning of the prophets that came. We ought to, to really consider what Jeremiah is saying. Well, we know that as we saw last week, that there is Zedekiah. He's the last king that's on the scene uh, after Josiah, his uh, two sons, Kaman Jehoi, has for a few months. He's taken off to Egypt to, to captivity. And then Jehoiakim, he reigns for 11 years. And Jehoiakim was a terrible king. He was only into... You know, his own interest, uh, building his own palace, paneling his own, you know, house. Uh, He was very greedy. Uh, He wasn't right with the Lord. He is reigning during the 
first wave of deportation, 605 B.C. We know that that's when the captivity began. And keep in mind that, as we have talked about, that there is three deportations. In other words, the first one began in 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar becomes the king of Babylon. He comes into Jerusalem. He takes the choice men of Judah back to Babylon. That would be Daniel and his friends. And Daniel and them are trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. Then a second wave came in 597 B.C. That was about the time that Jehoiakim uh, died. And we know that his son reigned uh, for only a few months. He's taken back in the second deportation or the second wave of captivity along with Ezekiel and others. So during this time, the first and second deportation, you see that a lot of the nobles and the leaders are taken off into captivity. Uh, and we also know that many of the treasuries were taken off as well. So Jeremiah, he remains in Jerusalem. Uh, and we also know that Ezekiel's off in Babylon. He's writing his book. He's receiving prophecies. And Daniel during this time, that he's prophesying as well. So God is still working. God is still speaking to the people. And then it was finally in 586 B.C. when Jeremiah's ministry would essentially <clears throat> come to an end that we know that he would be taken to Egypt after destruction of Jerusalem. So there are a lot of things that were taking place during this time. In chapter 29, as we see that Jeremiah has been dealing with the false prophets, Hananiah, he, he comes along and he says, listen, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is going to fall. He's given this prophecy after the second deportation. Uh, the captives are going to come back within two years. Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall. And Jeremiah says, no, it's not going to happen. Matter of fact, Jeremiah has already spoken that the captivity is going to last for 70 years. 70 years is going to be the captivity. And the reason 70 years is because they did not rest the land for 490 years. Uh, they were to rest the land every seven years. So the Lord says, I'm going to get those Sabbath years back. And so you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. And we see that Jeremiah now, as he begins to speak to the nation and the people that are off into captivity, uh, we read in chapter 29. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests and prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So again, this is written after the first and second deportation. Most of the people are gone. Some of the people remain in the land. They're farming the land. They're taking care of Jerusalem. Zedekiah is now on the throne. He's the last of the kings. And you recall that Zedekiah, they, he had a meeting there in chapter 27 with some of the, uh, uh, you know, the leaders of the ambassadors from Moab and Edom and the Ammonites and Tyre and Sidon, this confederation of, of nations coming together along with Zedekiah. And they're thinking, they're thinking, let's try to throw off the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. Let's, let's try to stop him and his rule. And it was Jeremiah that came along and said, don't. You are to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't, there's going to be death, destruction, and devastation. If you do submit to him, then you'll be able to dwell in the land. And, and you'll be under his rule but at least you'll be in the land and Jerusalem will be spared. Well, we know that Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, even though Jeremiah gave the word that Zedekiah don't do it. There's no reason for this destruction to happen, but yet he did. And then Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. comes in and destroys Jerusalem, levels Solomon's temple, and it laid in rubble. So here is after the first and second deportation, he writes to those carried away captive, the priests, the prophets, the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this happened after Jeconiah, that is Jehoiakim, um, that is the son of Jehoiakim with an M, was taken off into captivity. And the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah, verse 2, Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. And the letter was sent by Hannah of El the son of Saphan, and Jamar 
Ahiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying. So here is uh, this letter that Jeremiah is writing to them. You recall that Isaiah, that in his ministry before Jeremiah, he, he ministered uh, about 80 years before Jeremiah comes on the scene. And Isaiah, as you read chapters 40 through 66, the second part of his book, he brings comfort to the people. And he says that judgment is going to come. And Isaiah, uh, he would prophesy that they would go off into captivity. But God has not forgotten about you. There is still a future. Um, and it's interesting that when you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and when you read Ezekiel, that they would give prophecies, particularly as you read the book of Isaiah, you really have to put your thinking cap on because he will go from one verse where he's talking about a near fulfillment and then he will then talk about a future fulfillment. We will see that with Jeremiah, not so much in this chapter, but when we go into chapter 30 next time, because we're going to see that Jeremiah speaks of, yes, you're going to come back from the captivity, uh, from this Babylonian captivity, but yet he's going to talk about a future time as well that God's going to bring them back into the land. And what is so fascinating about the history of the Jewish people is that they have gone through really um, a number of captivities. They've gone through three of them. One was when they went off into Egypt. You remember the book of Genesis? Abraham was told that your descendants are going to go into Egypt for four generations. And it would be Jacob and his family, 75 in all, because of famine that would go. And they would go to be with Joseph. Uh, all that story in the book of Genesis, how Joseph, the son of Jacob, became the prime minister of Egypt. He brings his family to Egypt, and they're there for 400 years. And a Lord said that, that you'll come back into the land, uh, Abraham, for four generations while I deal with the iniquity of the Amorites. So for 400 years, they would then come back into the nation as the Lord would bring them to Mount Sinai. He made a covenant with them. That's the Mosaic covenant that we read about that's been mentioned here in the book of Jeremiah, that if you follow after me, as you believe in me and walk in my ways, it's going to be well with you. I'm going to give you this land of milk and honey. I'll drive out the Canaanites and the other ites that were in the lands. I'll defeat the enemies. I'll, I'll do away with the giants. You'll defeat them. And it'll be well with you. But if you don't follow after me, it's going to be judgment that's going to come and you're going to go off into captivity. So Jeremiah has been reminding them of that Mosaic covenant that was made with God's people at Mount Sinai. There was the curses and the blessings, as you read about in the book of Deuteronomy. And even as in last time, as we read about the symbol of the bonds and the yoke that Jeremiah put on, uh, that uh, he said that it's not going to be Nebuchadnezzar, the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar broken, that Hananiah, the false prophet, was saying, but you're going to have a yoke of iron that's going to put around you. He's going to rule over you. And it's interesting, as you read clear back to the book of Deuteronomy, as the Lord would say, part of the judgment that's going to come to you if you don't follow after me is that you'll have a yoke of iron that is around you. And we have a decision, all of us, to make. Are we going to yoke ourselves with Jesus? Because remember, he stood on that hillside. We're going to see it in Matthew's gospel. And he said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and, and you will find rest. And come learn of me. And he goes on and he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as we are to yoke ourselves with the Lord, his yoke is easy to walk with him, to stay connected to him, to abide in him. But if we take on the yoke of the world, that is, we yoke ourselves in compromise and in sin and in carnality, it's going to be hard. It's going to be like a yoke of iron. It's really heavy. Can you imagine that? And so Jeremiah is speaking these things. They should have thought about that. Well, they're going off into captivity. And, and Jeremiah, writing this letter, wants to bring encouragement to them as well. And letters could be easily sent as ambassadors between Jerusalem and Babylon would be sent. And so we see what's in this letter. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may uh, be increased there and not diminished. Verse 7, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to it. Uh, the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams, uh, which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely, verse 9 tells us, to you in my name, and I have not sent them, says the Lord. So you're going to be there for a while. Forget about Hananiah in the previous chapter that said it's going to be two years. Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall, uh, and the captives are going to be back, and the treasuries of the temple are going to come back. That's not going to happen. You're going to be there for a while. We're going to see that it's going to be for 70 years. And so what you are to do is you're taken away captive is you're to build houses, you're to plant gardens, you're to live in peace, you're to have children so you're not diminished, verse 7, and then even pray for Babylon. There's a lot here that we just read in these verses, in verses 4 through 9 in this letter that's being uh, written to the captives. They must have thought that God has forgotten about us. They must have thought that we have no future, we have no hope, we're off in captivity, and all of a sudden this letter's coming to them saying, you're going to be there for a while. So you need to build houses, you need to you know, have children, you need to plant your gardens, you're going to be there for a little while, but we see some very important things that are for you and for me, because sometimes we feel like as we're pilgrims, we're passing through this world, we belong to the kingdom of God, we look forward to the time when we will all be together in heaven, but in the meantime, we need to take heed to what is said here because number one i think there's there's four things here that we can take away in these verses that we just read number one we are to be salt and light in the days in which we are in here he's saying you are to continue to to live your lives you're to continue to have children and you be salt and light as you are number two be praying for babylon isn't that interesting Jesus comes along, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you pray for your enemies. And here the Lord is saying, you pray for Babylon. You be salt and light. And that's what we are to be as we are here, as we find ourselves in Babylon, if you would. Uh, This is not the kingdom of God. He will come and establish his kingdom in the second coming of Jesus Christ. But you and I are to be salt and light. And it's interesting that at this time here, that this is when the synagogue uh, began. You see, before the captivity of Babylon, that most of the people would come and they would worship there at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. They would make their journey. They would come and celebrate Passover. Uh, they would bring their sacrifices. But now they're off in a captivity. And after 70 years of captivity, a small remnant will come back uh, under the orders of Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, that defeat Babylon, take over Babylon. You read about that in Daniel chapter 5. And they come back, Zerubbabel, the civil leader, and Joshua, the high priest. And they rebuild the temples very modest, but a lot of the people stayed there. And then the Jews would be dispersed across the known world. And so what they did since this time, they didn't have the house of the Lord. Remember that Solomon's temple was destroyed. So what they began, it is believed Ezekiel was a part of that. And when you read Ezekiel, there's some hints in it that they began the synagogue. Now, we will read about the synagogue when we go through Matthew's gospel. Keep in mind that the synagogue is not the same as the temple in Jerusalem. The synagogue is like church. It's where they would gather together the Jews. And if there was a city, a town that had 10 male Jews there, they would have a synagogue. And so the synagogue system was set up a way for them to continue to read the scriptures, to pray together. And so number one, you're to be salt and light. 
Uh, you're to be salt and light to Babylon. You are to pray for them, and we are to be praying for our nation more than ever, especially as we are going to be celebrating Independence Day this weekend. Pray for our nation, that our nation turns to the Lord, um, that there is spiritual awakening that takes place, because I really believe that is the hope of our nation is that there is a turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is revival. And I pray for it because we look around and we see how far we continue to get away from the Lord. And so we need to be salt and light. Second of all, we need to be praying for our nation. Thirdly, we need to leave a godly heritage. Listen, parents, grandparents, whoever you are, it is critical that we leave a godly heritage. You are to have children so you're not diminished. You're to continue to meet together and you're to pray and read the scriptures. That's what they did with the synagogues. And they were able to come back and continue in their faith and continue to seek the Lord. You see, after they come back from the captivity, they didn't fall into idol worship like they did before. Now, as you read those Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, you know that there was you know, some problems. And, and as you read Malachi, there was some you know, rebellion and difficulty and challenges, but they didn't fall into that full-blown idol worship like they did before. And so leave that godly heritage. And that's what you and I are to do, that whoever is linked to you in your life, that we want to minister God's truth, which brings to number four, don't listen to those liars. Don't listen to those who are speaking, saying they're speaking on my behalf, but I have not sent them. And of course, we're going to see that those false prophets are going to be dealt with. We've already saw that Hananiah in the previous chapter saying that you're going to come back in two years, that he uh, was dealt with by the Lord. The Lord uh, ended up, um, you know, he died uh, the same year that he gave that prophecy, just as Jeremiah said. And we're going to see the same thing to these false prophets that were taken off in the captivity, still given their, their false prophecy. So there's a lot that is here for us. We don't want to listen to that, which is false. There's a lot of voices out there in the world. And we need to test the spirits, even as we talked about on Sunday. Because remember, Jesus gave the warning. He gave the warning. He said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, uh, is going to enter into the kingdom of God. He, he said, on that day, even though they prophesied in my name and did mighty works and miracles, that the Lord will say, I never knew you. He warned about that a, a bad tree will, will produce bad fruit. Uh, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So you'll know them by their fruits. So the warnings that Jesus gave, and he even said that in the very first sign of the end times in the Olivet Discourse is, he says, beware, because many false prophets and teachers will come on the scene. So don't be deceived is what he says to you and to me. So this is very relevant to us in the day in which we are living in. Number one, be salt and light to the people around you. Jesus said, remember on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, don't put your light, you don't put a lampstand under the bed or under a table. You put it out where it shines. And let people see your good works that they may glorify your Father in heaven that they can see there's something different about us, the reality of Jesus Christ. We want to pray for our nation, for our community, for our neighbors, and those that we work alongside of and family members, that the Lord will touch their hearts. We want to leave a godly legacy and heritage to our children, to our grandchildren, nieces and nephews, or others that we have opportunity to minister to, and we don't want to listen to that which is false. And we want to test the spirits to see if they are of God, and that's through the Word of God. So that's why it's so important that we be students of the Word of God more than ever in the day in which we are living in. And then in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. So the false diviners and prophets, you know, saying, don't listen to Jeremiah, uh, saying that it's going to be over this captivity in a couple of years. This letter that the Lord sends to the people says it's going to be 70 years, 70 years of captivity. Now, what is interesting, Daniel is in Babylon. And in about 536 B.C., when his 70 years are over, 
close to that time, when you read Daniel chapter 9, he reads, uh, you know, Jeremiah's prophecy. He reads this section that we're in. Let me read it to you. That in the first year of Darius, the son of Azarias, the, of the Medes, um, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. I find that fascinating because here is Daniel who wrote prophecy, that he read prophecy of Jeremiah. He believed Jeremiah's word. So he's reading this section. He says, I was reading Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said 70 years are going to be the captivity. And we're at the end of that 70 years. And in chapter 9, which is an incredible chapter of Daniel, he then receives uh, that vision from Gabriel, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And we don't have time to go into it, but I think that it's worth noting about Daniel that he was a student of prophecy. He knew that the Lord knew the end from the beginning as Isaiah would write. And I hope that we understand this, that every dot and tittle of God's word is going to be fulfilled, that it's amazing this book tells us of what's going to take place in the last days. And next week, when we get into chapter 30, you don't want to miss it because we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to give near fulfillments of them coming back from the captivity because, as I said earlier in the teaching, there was three captivities. There was Egypt. After 400 years, they came out of Egypt to Mount Sinai where they became a nation and then went into the promised land. The 70 years of captivity, as they would come back and in 530, 36 BC, and they would rebuild the, the temple. And then Nehemiah came in 445 BC to rebuild the streets and the walls around Jerusalem. And then the Bible speaks about another captivity that they would go under. That is, even Jesus spoke about it in Luke's narrative in the Olivet Discourse, that they're going to build an embankment around you, and, and they're going to destroy this city, and you're going to go to all the nations. And that happened in 70 AD after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that Titus and the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple and they would be taken off for 2,000 years till 1948 they became a nation once again. Absolutely incredible. When you look at their history, God predicted that those things would happen. And he said that you're going to come back into the land. And then, as Amos says, when you come back this time, that you're not going to be plucked out again. And what is interesting, that keep in mind this, and, and one of the things that I want to do sometime here in, in the near future is give another prophecy update. But we have so many events going on around us in this nation. But keep in mind that the end time scenario tells us that Israel is the epicenter, that Israel is, is the focal point of end-time prophecy. And there are things that are happening right now that show us that we are getting closer to the return of the Lord. And one of the things that is happening is, is because of the uncertainty in Europe and the uncertainty here in America that Jews are pouring into Israel, more Jews. They're going home. And the Lord said that would happen, that they would come back into the land. And we see that in the book of Ezekiel, coming back to dwell in the ancient cities and, and more and more coming back, tens and thousands of them in 2020 coming back. And that's all part of what God is doing in the end times. So it's interesting as we read these things, keep in mind this. Daniel understood when Jeremiah prophesied, and Jeremiah was a true prophet, he recognized that, that 70 years are going to be the captivity. He believed it. And so he's praying about the 70 years when he gets a vision of 70 weeks. Um, he was a student of the Word of God. And we have the privilege of reading God's Word. And that is so comforting to me to know that God has a plan for us, for the church, 
and, and that he's going to come for the church and what is called the rapture of the church. And then after that will be seven years of tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, Daniel chapter 9. And then we're going to come back with him in the second coming of Jesus Christ where he will establish his kingdom. He will restore the nation of Israel and, uh, and he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to rule and reign with him. So we got a wonderful future. And here we see that 70 years is going to be completed as we read this. But I want us to take note in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you. In other words, my word is true. Now, sometimes as we've already seen this word, I will visit you. After 70 years, you know, the Lord said, I will visit you and bring you back into the land. He never left them without any hope. And as we read this word that he will visit them, uh, it's very similar to like, for example, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, after Noah and his family get into the ark and he closes the door and here comes the floods and here comes the waters from under the crust of the earth it rains for 40 days and after I believe like 150 days it says in chapter 8 of Genesis verse 1 that God remembered Noah and his family here he says I'm going to remember you and I'm going to visit you now when we read that it doesn't mean that God said, oh, you know, I forgot about Noah down there. 150 days is floating around in that ark and, you know, everything's been destroyed. I, I guess I, I, I'll remember him. That's not what it means. Or here, oh, they've been off in captivity for 70 years. Uh, I guess I should visit them. Um, uh, I should work. Uh, I kind of forgot about them. Kind of like I haven't seen this person for a while. I should go visit them. I kind of forgot about them. It, it doesn't have any of those connotations or, or thoughts. When he says, I'm going to visit you or I remembered you, what he's saying is I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. And I got a plan. And he has a plan for you. And he has a plan for me. And he has a plan for the church. And he has a plan for, for this nation. And, and I know it's all going to culminate, whatever has taken place, into the, the kingdom of God being established. But listen, he has a wonderful plan for you as a believer. Because right now, maybe you feel like, I am just, you know, the Lord has not visited me. Uh, does he even see me? Does he remember me? He sees you, he knows you, he remembers you, and he loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life, and he desires for that plan for you to just rest in it, yoke yourself with him, and to know that he is going to complete that which he has begun in you. That's a promise of Philippians chapter 1, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. And the encouragement here is, as the people are thinking, you're going to visit us, what's that going to be like? Well, verse 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. I, I know my thoughts towards you. They're not thoughts of I'm going to destroy you. I'm done with you. I'm so disgusted with you. My thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And I know that in those times we're in a season where we think the Lord must be so disgusted with me. I'm a spiritual waste. You know, the Lord must be so disappointed that he says to you that I know my thoughts toward you. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil. But then he says, I want you to seek me, call upon me. And as you do, you'll find me. And if you're in a season of sin or carnality or compromise or away from the Lord, he's not very far. Really, he isn't. Will you come to him? Turn from what you're doing and call to him. He says, number one, that you seek me, call upon me, and you will find me. That's the promise here. When you do it with all of your heart. 
And you might be here tonight or you know somebody that you can minister to that they think I've sinned away the day of grace or, you know, I've been so, you know, so far from the Lord for so long, he would never receive me. You tell them or if it's for you personally tonight that you call upon him, you seek him and you will find him. You know, I know when my kids were, were small, and any of us that got small kids, that they'll, they'll yell, Mom, Dad, and, and they'll uh, seek us when they, they want us, and they'll call on us. And we're not very far away, are we? I'm right here. I'm right here, Johnny, Susie, whoever. You know, I'm not very far. And they find us, don't they? And it's a Heavenly Father that is close by that says, you seek me, number one. You call out to me, and you'll find me. And that's what we're to do. And he loves us, and he desires to minister to us. And he has a wonderful future. Listen, he is our future. He is our hope and our future. Don't live for yourself. Don't trust in the world, in the direction of the world. He is your hope and future. And he desires to do wonderful things in your life. Because they have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, and concerning your brethren who have gone out with you into captivity. And thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, the pestilence that will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten they are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence. And I will deliver them to trouble among uh, all the kingdoms of the earth. Um, to be a curse and an astonishment, a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants and prophets rising up early and sending them. Neither would you heed, says the Lord. So the False prophets here were saying um, that they would return quickly and safely to Jerusalem. And God says, I'm going to deal with them. And um, I'm going to deal with them because of their false prophecy. And you're going to be in captivity. And then in verse 20, that therefore hear the word of the Lord all you of captivity whom I've sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel concerning Ahab and Zedekiah that's listed here, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery uh, with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know, and I am a witness, says the Lord. So there were two individuals that were the ringleaders of the false prophets. They prophesied lies. They were evidently living in sinful lifestyles. They were saying things in rebellion to Nebuchadnezzar. And he would, as you notice here in verse 22, roast them in the fire. Now that was a way of execution in Babylon. You know that from Daniel chapter 3. Remember Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Babylonian names. Those three Hebrew young men that were friends of Daniel. And as Nebuchadnezzar told them to bow down to my statue made of gold. Now, here's the thing. These false prophets saying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall, we're going to leave this captivity, we'll be back home safely in Jerusalem in a couple of years. Nebuchadnezzar hearing that, that would really tick him off. That would be like a threat to him. What do you mean? And he roasted them in the fire. And you didn't do that to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that in Daniel chapter 2, that we see that Daniel interprets tells the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, interprets it, and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, but you're going to be replaced, your kingdom, by the chest and arms of silver, which is the Medo-Persian Empire. And in chapter 3, here it is some years later, that Nebuchadnezzar ends up making this image made of all gold. 
And he commanded everybody to bow down to that golden image. And it was like Nebuchadnezzar is saying, no, my kingdom is never going to be replaced. He is full of pride. You know, he bragged about, look at my kingdom, the hanging gardens in chapter 4 of Daniel. And it was the Lord that would humble him. And he went insane for seven years. But it's fascinating to look at that. And it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 that said, we're not going to bow down to that golden statue. You are not the true king, Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God in heaven that he's the true king. And we bow down only to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar got angry. And he said, heat up the fire seven times more than normal. And they had a catwalk. It would be kind of like a cone-shaped furnace. And they would go down the catwalk, drop them in. The guys that were dropping Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the burning fiery furnace, the fire was so hot, it ended up killing them. These three guys dropped down in there. Meanwhile, he's down there at the bottom. There's a door he can look into on his little portable throne, watching these guys burn up. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't hurt. And he says, how many guys did we throw into the fire? Daniel chapter 3. Three, O king. Well, I see four, and the fourth is like the Son of God. Come out of there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they came out. They weren't hurt. They weren't burnt. They didn't smell of smoke, nothing. The only thing that was burned up was the ropes that had them bound up. Listen, these guys were false prophets they were living immoral lives and they were roasted in the fire. And all of us, in a sense, have a decision to make. Are we going to be roasted? Because, listen, eventually that's what the enemy will do. He'll, you know, tell you, live the way that you want to live. Live any lifestyle. Do what you want. You know, go any direction you want to go. Um, listen to all the voices of the world. You're going to end up being roasted because that's what he wants to do. He wants to bound you up and he wants to throw you into the fire of, of just bondage and defeat and devastation. He wants to roast you or we can be rescued. And I pray that tonight, if there's any of you that are here tonight and you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ, those three young men that said, we are going to worship the Lord and he will deliver us that Jesus, he went to the cross to deliver you from sin and from the world and from the enemy, to rescue you. You got a choice to be roasted or to be rescued. And I pray that every single one of us that are listening, that we choose to be rescued. We choose to be rescued because Jesus went to a cross and took the punishment for me. And then we get to have that sweet fellowship, even as those three men did in the fire. You know, I think that as Nebuchadnezzar's going, come out of there, those three guys, they didn't want to come out because they were having fellowship with the Son of God who was in the fire with them. And the Lord will be in the fire with you, whatever it is that you're experiencing. But he has rescued you, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He is your hope. He is your future. And so we see here that uh, as we continue, he, he names the, uh, these false prophets that were sending letters back to Jerusalem in verse 24 through 29. He shall also speak to Shemaiah the Nehalamite, saying, we don't know where that's from or uh, that's unknown. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Sephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priests instead of Jehoiada, the priest. So there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet, that you should put him in prison and in stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he sent to us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them, and plant gardens and eat their fruit. Now Sephaniah the priest read the letter to the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nahalmite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him. And he's caused you to trust in a lie. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish him and his family, and he shall not have anyone to dwell among this people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. So this false prophet is going to be judged by the Lord and, um, and is going to be dealt with by the Lord. And we know that because he has taught and caused the people to believe a lie. Hey, let's continue in the word. Let's continue to be encouraged. Yoke yourself with Jesus. Know that his thoughts toward you are thoughts of peace and not of evil. That he is your hope. He is your future. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this incredible chapter. And, Lord, I just pray for all of us, Lord, that as we look around us and we see all the stuff going on, that you have a future and hope for us. So I do want to pray if anyone is listening or listening later to this message that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He came to rescue you. Not that you, you'll be roasted, but you'll be rescued. He went to a cross and died for your sins. He is your hope. There is none other. The world's not your hope. Uh, you can't earn heaven yourself. He is your future. He has a wonderful future for you. And that is, as you are forgiven, coming and turning. As Jeremiah wrote here, it's a, it's a message for us. That as you seek him and call to him, it, he's there and you'll find him. He's just waiting for you to turn your heart to him and call out to him and say, I need to be forgiven and rescued. You, you provided that on the cross at Calvary for salvation. And you're my hope and future. So I now come and I give my life to you, Jesus. I believe in you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me on that cross. You're alive. And now I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. To know you, to walk with you. To, to know that you have a wonderful future for me, to learn of you in every way, in Jesus' name. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that none of us would believe the lies of the world, but stay close to you, believe your word given to us. And Lord, bless everyone here. As we enter into a, a, a holiday weekend, Independence Day, we pray for our nation that there would be a turning to you, and Lord, we need you. And Lord, I do pray that we would cherish what we have, the blessings you've given to us, never take it for granted. And that we would desire to be salt and light to the people around us, continue to pray for our community, for this nation, that we would have a desire to leave a godly heritage to our children, to our grandchildren and that we would not believe the lies of the world that are so popular today, but we would abide in your word that fruit may be produced in our lives. So, Lord, thank you for tonight. Keep everyone safe this weekend. Looking forward to meeting on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great holiday, 4th of July. Be safe. We'll, hopefully, we'll see you on Sunday.